Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pixelist Podcast, the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. I'm Will, that's Blake, and today we're here to talk some Critical Role. Episode 44. <sighs> yeah, what, whoa. I like knew that, but you saying that just now like really made it register because four is my favorite number. So like double four, this is like... <laughs> Got some what extra a, meaning now. What a detail I did not know about you, and yet also odd. Yep. Well, that's it for today, y'all. We'll, <laughs> we'll talk to y'all next time. I've never really, I don't really know how to react to it because I've just never had someone just casually, that's my favorite number. Like, what is, I what feel like you knew my you? favorite number. Like, you know, I'm sure it's not something anyone. that you would have like retained onto, but I don't we, think I know anyone with favorite number. What? You don't, what wait, 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 <laughs> wait. There's two different statements here, and I'm going to make sure you're making the one I think you're making. You're not saying that you just you didn't know my favorite number, but you think it's right. weird that I have a favorite number? It's definitely both. That's very odd. I don't me. think I've ever met anyone that didn't have a favorite number. I don't have a favorite number. What? You are the... in the comments. Do you guys have favorite numbers? This is so weird to me. I feel like I don't even know you anymore. <laughs> what, what, is, what does it mean to have a favorite number? I mean, what does it mean to have a favorite color? It's just something people have. Is that have. a thing too? What? No, okay, that's just, a joke. That one's okay. a joke. <laughs> well, a favorite color would be like, oh, I'm going to wear blue because blue is my favorite color. But like, what's what's number? Like, how many burgers do you want? No, I mean, it's just, number? I don't know. It's just like, <laughs> you know, you just pick one. Like, if you ever had to pick a number, like playing on a team, like a sports team when you were younger or anything. Okay, you yeah. Know? Or like, yeah, you know. Okay, yeah, I can see that, like that for sure. Like numbers that are like, you know, famous players or things like that, so. Yeah, but anyway, okay. 44 is not my favorite number, just to be clear, <laughs> but four is, just so yeah. we don't get it twisted at all. What are we doing today? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, episode 44, Body Basement Belligerence. Of camping triple B. Role, the triple B's. What? Um, there was some belligerence. There was some chaos in this, this episode for sure. There was some, there was just peak D and D at, at various <laughs> points, but yeah, this episode That's was definitely one way to put it. Yeah. It was <laughs> I don't hilarious. know if my D and D sessions are <laughs> it kind of depends on your type of game, I guess. You know, but. just in terms of like the unfettered chaos. Sure. Uh, do we have any announcements by the way, before we jump in um one is that as i'm sure you can tell i'm still kind of getting over a cold um so y'all forgive me if you hear me sniffing or coughing or my voice is just weird uh we'll obviously try to mute before i make any unpleasant noises but just fair warning uh other announcements um it is games done quick uh if you follow our channel you probably saw us put out a video a couple days ago uh explaining what exactly that is um if you haven't seen it and you're like what are you talking about Go check that video, but like really, really quick, there's an event called Games Done Quick happening this week. What? <laughs> All of a sudden, I started thinking, did that show up? What was that? <laughs> Sorry. Like, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm bad. Sorry. No, you're good. Um, ADD struck. I just was like, what does this button do? While I was I, listening. So now I know. All right. I have so many questions, but we'll have save them uh, for later. Uh, people listening on the podcast are like, who are these idiots? What are they talking <laughs> about? What is going on? 
Oh, yeah, so we got we got GDQ going on. Yeah, which speedrunning marathon for charity? It started uh, last Sunday. Will continue till late Saturday night, literally nonstop, twenty four seven. Check it out if you want to know more. Check our last video. Um, other than that, um, no real last, announcements. Last of Us on Sunday. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll um, be covering that. We will be. Um, obviously, Vox Machina coming in like a little over a week. Uh, season right. two, that is, and. I think that's pretty much it as far as things to signal boost. Do we know the release schedule on Vox Machina, by the way? I don't, I haven't like seen it hard confirmed, but I imagine it's going to be the same as last time. So like three episodes a week, um, yeah. all dropping at the same time or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So that'd okay, be my cool. best guess. So yeah. We should do like a watch party again. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys want to watch it, we'll do like a watch party and we'll, all getting a channel together as best we can. There's always, you know, technical difficulties, but yeah, I think um, this time through, we'll just do it on discord. That way people don't even have to have Amazon prime. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, be on the lookout for that. But yeah, I think that's it. Unless you got anything else. Nope. Well, what we're going to do is we'll, if you've checked out our channel long term, you know that we like to talk about a little bit of a recap, uh, only because a lot can happen in four hours of D&D. Uh, so we'll do a little recap action, and then we'll jump into our thoughts on the episode. Usually there's someone in the comments who'll do a timestamp if you want to skip ahead to that. Or if you're watching just the recap, which we cut out as a separate video, in the episode description, you can see a link to the whole episode discussion. Uh, and we definitely want to know what you think and thought about the episode. So having said that, again, episode 44, Body Basement Belligerence. And uh, Will, I think you're taking the first half. Yes, sir. Um, so we pick up this episode with uh, Bell's Hells, if you'll recall, having just transported back to uh, Ebenold's basement from the fire plane where they had their meeting with uh, plane rider Wren and Ebenold. Um, and they're trying to decide what their course of action be should be next, but they hear voices above them. They're in like a, a hidden basement. Um, they're like, okay, what should we do? Are there any other exits? No. Um, what should our excuse be for being here? We were attacked. Uh, we were having an orgy. Perfect. So they basically are panicking. Like yeah. These are like the two options, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and first things first, uh, Ladna kind of places her immovable rod in the like secret, uh, entrance door thing to the basement to kind of help jam the door and Imogen cast detect thoughts just to see how many like presences she can feel um, that are in the house. Uh, and she catches four other presences. Um, one of the, one of which is moving very fast. Uh, Lana then turns per pate into a spider and sends him up to investigate. Uh, and he sees a thin half elf and an air elemental whooshing back and forth, like all the rooms just investigating. Um, some kind of hijinks ensue again during all this time. Bell's Hells are basically like, all right, we got to think of a plan. We got to think of a plan. Um, and failing to do so when the elemental actually comes through the door because it's made of air, it can just kind of slip beneath the gap and appears in the basement room with them. Uh, as this happens, they're like, okay, orgy it is. And half of the party is like stripping off their clothes uh, and initiative is rolled. Um, so Imogen and Orem kind of helm up the first round of deception checks against an air elemental that they are like 
having an orgy, essentially. Uh, Ladna actually passes the Treshy scrying orb to FCG, who then like uses it as if it's a camera. And FCG also makes a deception check. Um, again, it's against an elemental, so they're all doing... They're rolling poorly, but it's it's clearly not happening. Um, the elemental is confused, though, and it hasn't attacked them yet. Uh, then the other voices of the half-elf and the other people that are in the, the house are starting to like clamor from the other side, being like, let us in, what's going on in there? Uh, but they can't quite make their way in because of the immovable rod. However, they eventually just splinter the door down and all make their way inside, and basically combat proper begins. Um, Imogen, basically at this point, Misty steps up out of the basement and goes into the kitchen of the um of the house and everyone's like, okay, I guess the plan is to just run away now. So like half of bell's hells are getting some attacks in while the other half are like hurrying after Imogen. Um, couple good moments in this combat. Uh, FCG casts command, uh, and initially commands to fap, but kind of <laughs> was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't and commands to command. Um, all but one of them succeed on the save, but, uh, one of them has to sit there and just command for his next couple turns. Um, Orem attacks a bunch of them and then actually, um, oh, I skipped a part. Sorry. Uh, Fern transforms into a horse in this chaos. And, and I think she says she's a Clydesdale, which is like a huge horse that is actually now blocking the exit from the members of Bell's Hells that have not yet escaped the basement. They can't escape now because she's so big, namely FCG, who's like trapped behind her. So Orem does his, um, you know, classic fighter maneuvers and bait and switches with FCG to help push them uh, further up the stairs. Uh, combat continues. Chetney utilizes Estaros's old weapon turmoil for the first time, I believe. Um, Ladna grabs the immovable rod back, which then ultimately allows Fern to make her way through the door as the horse, um, just splintering through the rest of it. And chaos continues basically into this small kitchen area with everyone fighting. Um, FCG does cast banishment on one of the attackers and sends them <laughs> to another plane of existence. That was awesome. Um, Orem is able to finish off one of the attackers, not the elemental, the, uh, the humanoids. Um, and so with one banished, one down, the leader, who is the one that's commanding the air elemental is like, Hey, it's time to go and cast basically like a chain lightning spell hitting a bunch of them and then runs and kind of like breaks out of the nearby window. Um, Chetney chases after him and is able to actually kind of finish him off, get the how do you want to do this outside in the alley, and then takes his unconscious body and throws it back inside. Uh, Fern turns back into a normal person, and the Imogen and Lana are going to chase after the air elemental, but with its master um, downed, it just flees, and they're like, okay, we're just going to let that go. Right. Um, so next they're like, well, the guy uh, FCG banished to another plane is going to be coming back soon. So like, what, sh what should we do? And FCG quickly casts spare the dying on the mage that Chetney just, how do you want to do this? And, um, that's actually where we go to break for the first half. Yeah. So in the second half, uh, we come back to, uh, sort of like this destroyed house, uh, from this combat situation and the party's basically like, we, they're trying to decide, should we stick around and basically kill this last remaining person who comes back from banishment or should we get out of here? And pretty much the party agrees, like, this is a really like hot area. We need to just get somewhere safe. And more importantly, we need to figure out who this person is. Who's on the back of, um, I was gonna say back of the horse, but I guess since she changed back, they were just carrying this person or. 
I think I so. I might have gotten the timing mixed up, but yeah. Well, bottom line, they don't want to they don't want to gag this person and they don't want to bound their hands either because they don't want to raise suspicion. And um what they essentially end up doing is they're traveling through town trying to be very subtle and they ask some passerbyers, "Hey, where's the docks?" uh which they get directed to. And then once they get to the docks, they're kind of looking for like kind of like an off the beaten path warehouse that maybe is not active that they could break into and basically interrogate this person. Um, which they successfully are able to do. They're able to find this warehouse. Uh, Chetney lock, uh, picks the lock. They get inside. And I will say this person does wake up and attempts to, um, I think it was cast Misty Step, to um, escape. Uh, and I believe uh, FCG casts Silence or something to that effect. But bottom line, the person fails and ends up staying a prisoner to um, Bell's Hells. So uh, the second half of the episode is basically a, a continuation of the lore dump that we've got in the previous episode where they're basically talking to this, this guy uh, who goes by the name of Tuldis. And Tuldis gives like the classic, I'll never tell you anything. Uh, <laughs> FCG cast Fast Friends. And uh, very quickly, this person is now open to sharing, yeah, what do you want to know? Uh, within reason, he doesn't share everything. Uh, right. The party basically is like, who are you? Like, are you part of the Judicators from Vasselheim? And this person is basically like, no, I'm part of a, another group called the Ruby Vanguard. And through this conversation, they come to find out that this person's boss, the boss of the Ruby Vanguard, is Ludinus Deleth, the leader of the Cerberus Assembly. And that the whole point of the Ruby Vanguard, it is comprised of a number of zealots and religious people who are seeking to be free of the reign of the gods. Uh, it's very Age of Arcanum-esque in that yeah. uh, these people want freedom to do what they want in their lives, to be free, uh, to control their own destiny. And sort of their end game is to release Pradathos uh, to basically finish what Pradathos started, uh, release this hound that can consume the gods and, uh, as Tuldus says, can then move on to other worlds beyond Exandria and continue to consume all of those things. Chetney rightfully asks, uh, what's, starting, what's stopping Pradathos from just like killing the gods and then killing all of us? And Tuldus basically says, well, you know, why would a shark bother with eating the plankton after they've you know, finished with the fish. Um, but essentially, um, it's a very like Thano-esque um, plan of like, this is for the good of all people. We're trying to make the world a better place by freeing us from the gods. And essentially, they want to know more about Ludinus. Can they find him? And, and also while these conversations are happening, uh, Imogen is casting Detect Thoughts and trying to also get like images and flashes of um, more details for this for this um, conversation. And basically they come to find out that this person who they originally assumed was like a high ranking official in the Ruby Vanguard is basically like a, a, a peon. Um, part of this is, is to frustrate Tuldus, you know, by saying, oh, you don't really know Ludinus. And there's even a funny moment where he's having a memory of where he saw Ludinus and Ludinus said like, hey, good job. <laughs> like he's always like remembered that memory and stuff. Um, but basically they, they get to the point where they're like, okay, something big is happening. 
Tool just keeps talking about in a little over a week, like you're all going to see, like you're all going to be seeing and, and kind of implying you're all going to be very grateful. And it actually even forebodingly says like, if you, if you're still around at that point, like if you've made it that far. Um, so the party decides, you know what, what do we need to do with this person? Should we kill him? Should we leave him here? And they actually um, cast sending to planes rider Ren and they say, Hey, we got this Ruby Vanguard person here. Like, what do you, do you want to come? What do you want to do with them? And uh, Ren's like, oh, that's great. That's great information. I'll be there in a sec. Um, finds the warehouse, thanks to Imogen, and um, knocks on the door, sounding like a, an elderly old lady. And in walks Plains Rider Ren. And we get like probably one of the coolest first displays of Ren's power, where, um, you know, FCG had cast Fast Friends on Toldus, and there was still kind of like this coyness and like not full willingness. Uh, Toldus. Uh, Rin casts something and and told us is like immediately just like, you know, yes, of course, whatever you want. Um, basically, they ask about uh, the plan of the Ruby Vanguard and essentially the plan hinges on these three keys. The three keys being the Malleus keys, uh, three machines that are placed across planes, seemingly one in the Feywild, one in the Shadowfell, and one in uh, Exandria in the Prime uh, Material Plane. Uh, the same machines that we found out about a couple of episodes ago. Um, the party asked Planes Rider Ren, like, could you help us get across to some of these other other planes? And um, Ren's like, uh, yeah, of course. It's like my thing. <laughs> of course I can do that. And um, basically um, tells told us to go like sit in a corner and like be a good boy or something like that while they, you know, have a conversation. So, so basically um, they also asked told us like which, which key they should go after. And it seems like the one in the prime material plane is the most guarded and that because there's tensions with the unseelie court, uh, there may be an opportunity in the Feywild or again, possibly in the Shadowfell where told us has never been. Um, they do also talk about Ira Windigoth and who seems to be this chaos agent that uh, told us is surprised to hear is still in action and is still like up to whatever chaotic hijinks he's up to. And basically the party decides, you know what, we're going to have to go take care of one of these keys if we're going to stop whatever is coming. Before they can do that, unfortunately, they have to ret retrieve Ashton. Uh, FCG also is um, really wants to learn more about himself and like it, kind of like his his story. And I think it's Orum or someone in the party is kind of like, well, this is like big stuff, like calamity esque stuff. So maybe we put a pin in that and we can come back in a week and continue from there. Um, but in the meantime, Imogen sends a message to Ashton that's like dude, like, where are you? Like, we got some big stuff happening. Uh, and FCG is even like, hey, we've been through two planes already today. Are we really going to go for a third? And the party's like, I think so. So uh, that's where the episode ends. That was episode 44 of Campaign 3 of Critical Role, Body Basement Belligerence. <laughs> uh, and yeah, let's jump into our discussion on the episode. Yeah, so, and... Uh, just a reminder for anybody on that recap video, look down in the description below if you're interested in hearing our full thoughts on the episode. Uh, but yeah, man, I guess, you know, first things first, what'd you think? I wish you were going first because I <laughs> I don't want to bring us down. I, I, have two I have two reactions to the episode, um, and I, I don't know if this is unfair, 
one as a viewer of like entertainment and one as a D&D player. Um, and I think the D&D player gets a nod over the entertainment piece of like, um, they've said it time and again, like these we're, we're friends playing D&D. Like that's what's most important to us. As a D&D player, this is like, you called it peak D&D. Like when just shenanigans are happening, someone has an idea, everyone's like, uh, okay, yeah, let's go for this. You know, like that is a fun D&D session. So like in that regard, I'm like, great. That was awesome. From like an entertainment point, I was kind of like, okay, guys, like let's let's get this moving along here. Um, I would probably from an entertainment perspective put it in one of like my lower episodes, not like the worst episode, but just kind of like like once we got to the Ruby Vanguard conversation, like I was ready to feast. Um, but it was so brief. I think it was only about an hour left of the episode. Um so I wouldn't call it filler, wouldn't call it anything bad. It just didn't really um it just didn't really do it for me, I guess. So not a bad episode, but and again, as a DD player, they had a great time. So that's pretty much all that matters. So how's about you, my friend? Yeah. Um, I mean, I liked it. I uh I I you know, you basically already said it, but to you know, I just there was peak D D to me, all that chaos, and so I I had fun in that moment with them just going full chaos demons. And then um, of course the, the lore dump at the, at the end of the episode was really interesting to me as well. And I, I, I'm going to Pepe Silva a bit later, uh, I want but to. I, there's, I a, there's so many things that I feel like I, I can kind of piece together now. And I don't know if it's right or not, but. Well, I need to ask you too, because it seems like I really like the episodes where, like some episodes end and the group's like, okay, yeah. And it, it's it's over. Some episodes end and the cameras keep rolling and we get like the parties mm-hmm. reacting, the players are reacting. Like, okay, so this, so we had a question about Vecna, totally over my head, didn't know at all what that was all about. We had a question, a comment from Sam Regal about the Mighty Nine. They should have finished the job. Yeah. No idea what that's all about. But it was fun though to be like, okay, this there are there's some depth to this beyond yeah. recent events that's kind of exciting yeah cogs are turning and i can i can shed some light on those two things if you <laughs> if you want to know um yeah but yeah it just it feels like and i'll get into this i don't want to dive into it yet so i'll get okay. into this a bit later but it's so cool how like little seeds have like really like seeds from campaign one are now like starting to bloom, which is just cool to see. That's um, wild to me because I just yeah. envision one is over and done. And so like, again, not to Pepe Sylvia, but like, like you said, like the seeds blooming now, like things. And, you know, I'm sure it's fun for Matt also. Like, I mean, how long ago was campaign one? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? You know, like years ago right and so to see some of these things come to fruition i'm sure is really exciting for him for sure uh campaign one and two i would say even probably more so too considering ludinous and the Cerberus assembly and stuff um but yeah real quick the question about vecna and again this is like kind of spoilery i guess for for anyone out there that like hasn't seen campaign one that like wants absolutely no spoilers i'll do this when i'm done um (laughs) <laughs> the question about Vecna was, you know, Vecna tried to ascend to godhood like the Raven right. Queen did. And part of, you know, Vox Machina's final attempt at thwarting him involved trying to prevent that. 
And I think Travis, and correct me if you're referring to something else that was said, but Travis was like, how many trammels did it take for us to take down yeah. Vecna? Um, trammels are like this holy artifact thing that they had to get created and they utilized during the battle against him that basically like, and I'm oversimplifying here, but essentially they enabled uh, them to lock him behind the divine gate. Um, and so I guess they were just, he was asking that considering if Pradathos potentially gets out and they have to lock him away somewhere. I think that's where that question was coming from. And then the service assembly or the mighty nine didn't finish things question is because of the service assembly, because they were um, in a way, certain characters um, played a big role in campaign two. And uh, some was dealt with some wasn't this kind of left as a, this hanging thread. Well, like, yeah, we kind of dealt with this one thing, but like, the service assembly as a whole is still kind of like corrupt. We need to be like looking into this. And then here they are in campaign three, you know, Ludinus still up to, to no good. So did they, did they have an opportunity? Did they fight Ludinus in campaign two? No, they never fought Ludinus in campaign okay. two. There was another member of the assembly that served as not the big bad, but one of like the big bads of the campaign that they did deal with. Okay. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Yeah. But so, yeah, it's just cool to see all these things kind of coming to a head with this Apogee yeah. Solstice coming up. Um, is, that, is that end of spoilers, by the way? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Sure. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a few things to talk about here. I kind of want to, like, get the the less important stuff out of the way. That way we can just, like, yeah, go sure. deep on the the solstice and Pradathos and all that stuff. So let me look through my notes really quick. Um, there, there was a tiny, tiny detail about uh, Imogen's character. She, she did something. Um, maybe it was when she was doing inflict wounds, but I don't remember what it was. And um, I think Matt asked like, Oh, well like, do you, someone asked something like, I think she did something. Oh, she, yeah. she like did another additional two D eight or something like that. And Chetney was like, what? Like, we're going to talk about this. I think that was the same thing where he was like, we're going to talk about this later. Uh, yeah, I but think, I don't remember yeah. the exact detail of that conversation. I remember that moment, but I don't remember the exact details either. Okay. It might be the feat that was added after the, the fight with Thule. The Ruidus feat. Yeah, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I I'm, I know what you're talking about, but I don't have enough confidence to say like that's what that was. But interesting that you bring that up. Um, and somebody in the comments cor correct us, or if anybody knows like explicitly, I did quick. I did right before we got on take a quick look at um, crit roll stats of Imogen's character sheet, but I couldn't find what I was looking for in time. So it may be there, it may not. But um, okay. uh, Imogen clearly. Ruidus born really heavily tied in to Ruidus and the themes here. It's interesting that she has that Ruidus feet, which we just were talking about. Um, she's Fae touched. She took the Fae touched feet. Um, and I think she might have the shadow touched feet as well. That's she said, I think she said that, right? Shadow. I think she used that phrasing, right? Okay, yeah. That, maybe that's why I'm thinking it. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't quite remember. Um, so if that's true, which maybe it's not in disregard of everything I'm saying, but if it is, that's just really interesting that she has um, shadow touched is referring to the shadow fell and fey touched is referring to the fey wild. 
which are the two planes that are really relevant here with Ruidus. So it's interesting that Imogen, like the Ruidus central character, has yeah. Shadowfell connections, Feywild connections, and of course, Ruidus connections. Um, so stuff like that makes me wonder, is that like coincidence? Did, did her and Matt talk about this when she was picking her feats? Because I mean, like she didn't take Fae Touched until level four. So like she didn't have that when she was made the character, you know? Um, she does. It's a feat. It's a feat. It's on the character sheet. Feet from Ruidus, Shadow Touched, uh, which gives her invisibility and inflict wounds. Uh, okay. So yeah. So uh, I just think that like crazy coincidence or planned. Either way. Yeah. Cool. I, and I'm assuming since they're both labeled under Ruidus that it came again, it came after that fight with Thule. Right. Um yeah, I, by the way, this is just, I think, great DMing in general is, and this isn't the first time Matt's done this, but um, development for your players beyond just like items or them gaining levels, but mm -hmm. like things that happen in the story that then unlock something for them that's like not necessarily in line with their character class. Yeah. Um, I just think it's fun, you know, and I think I think trying things like that, I think sometimes people might get a little bit apprehensive around like, I don't want my party to get overpowered. I don't want um, to break the game, but I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm an agent of chaos. I just kind of I just really like that kind of stuff. I just think it's fun for the players. A hundred percent. I mean, who doesn't like getting loot, you know, getting upgrades? I think that's part of the fun of the game side of D&D. &D. You know, you always want to feel like you're progressing both in terms mm -hmm. of your narrative, of course, but also just in terms of like your power, you know, um, another good example is, you know, Liam getting seedling, uh, yeah. which is technically like just a new weapon, but not really because it's the same weapon that Matt just yeah. gave him Spider-Man abilities on. So yeah, <laughs> Matt's always been good about that. And then he also in the past will just tweak it, you know, if it's too strong or if it's too weak. So, you know, for any DMs out there that like that idea but are nervous of the implications, like you're the DM, just adjust accordingly if it is, you know, yeah, and, too far in either direction. And I, I don't want to get too in the weeds on this. Maybe we need just like a separate conversation to have, but like your ability to tweak is directly related to how much your players trust you. In that, you know, at a table where there's where there's low trust, I think that is where like the players like, oh man, like seriously, you're gonna nerf me? Like, come yeah. on, dude. But like how well you build those relationships, build that trust. And Matt said it a number of times. Like we have, it is a high trust table. My players really trust me. They trust what we're doing here. Um, that's, and you know, it's why he's the best of the best. So, <laughs> but yeah. anyway, so, okay. That, that does address it for me though. I was wondering what that was. So, um, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I did want to mention the feet thing with her. Um, the another thing that's not part of the main meat and potatoes here is FCG. Um, you touched on it in in your I don't know if it was in the recap or we were just talking, but um, how FCG has wants to kind of explore more about their story, their backstory, mm -hmm. um, but it just doesn't feel like there's the time for it. Um, and right. I like that this is that's kind of like that's kind of like. Uh, at table, but also kind of above table, you know, like FCG does feel that way, but I think Sam feels that way as well, you know, but of course Sam isn't going to want to like detract from, you know, he, he never would be selfish in the sense of like, no, we're doing this and not, you know, investigating the world ending calamity that's about to happen. Um, but I, I just feel for him because I feel like that's happened to him several times throughout this campaign already. 
And it's also really interesting how that dynamic is also kind of like tying into the fact that FCG, the character, like can lose it. And it seems like he's like on the precipice of that, given how he was talking what, at the end of the episode. Yeah, and what what happened that caused that? Like, is he he communicated to the group, hey, I'm feeling a little wibbly wobbly, <laughs> whatever the phrasing was. But was, and then Orem clarified, you mean like the day that you kind of lost it? And he was like, yeah. Um, and you could also kind of hear that hesitation when he asked, like, are we really going to go into a third plane? Um, yeah. I don't remember what triggered it the first time, but I His feel like it's craziness. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean to cut you off. If oh, you I was just going to say, I don't remember if it was the same because for Chetney, it's low HP. He does the wisdom saving throws. I don't remember that being the case for FCG. Um, well, was it natural ones? Well, for FCG, we still don't know, like for sure. Like they haven't like come out and said this is exactly how it works. But I'm pretty sure it's that point system that we've alluded to, yeah. like him tracking things all throughout the campaign. There seems to be a good one, you know, when people roll nat twenties, and I think he's explained more of that one. There but is. Not- it's it's called it's his um, level six domain feature. When an ally rolls a natural twenty, you share in their exuberance for the next minute. You have advantage on your next roll. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we also notice he's tracking like natural ones and just when I think when he fails like certain things. So I think when he goes crazy is when he like accumulates enough of those negative points. And I don't know if like what removes them. If Is it a long rest? Is it? I don't think it's a short rest because then they wouldn't be that that much of an issue. But um, so for me, he probably has a high number of those of those points and needs to you know, right. get well, rid of them somehow. Here's here's an interesting detail. Cause I was thinking about what happened in what happened in this session that caused him to be on the brink. Um and part of it could be changing planes of existence. Like it, it's wear and tear on him. I don't think he took much damage. I could be wrong. So I don't think it's related to that. So it could be planes of existence. If it is the natural ones I don't know if you noticed, there were a lot of natural ones in yeah, this episode. There were. And I, I took it as the DM, the D and D gods being like, "Okay, guys, let's move past this bit already." <laughs> I feel like I feel like the D and D gods were agreeing with me. Like, let's get going. <laughs> um, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven natural ones in this episode. In the first half alone, more than the last three episodes combined. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of natural ones uh, in this episode, if it is related to that, which I think it might be, that might be why he's on the brink. Like maybe every 20 natural ones, he becomes unhinged. I don't know. But, you know, on a typical episode, we get one, two, maybe three. We got seven in this episode. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me. All right, we're shipping it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I just and I I mean not to not to get lost in it right now, but I am curious how he he sheds that. Like I don't know cuz it seems like it would be more complicated than just even a long or a short rest, but I don't I don't know. Not not really worth diving into the nuts and bolts of that right now, but it's just interesting that you know he as a character is on the precipice of one of these berserk modes at the same time of 
being like kind of unsatisfied with his place right now, like wanting to know more and not being able mm-hmm. to find out. So I just feel like that's a really interesting dynamic. I do think it's also interesting in that the party seems to be pressing on. Like we talked about Orm being kind of like, and hey, this is age of Arcanum stuff. Like we're going to have to like put a pin in that. Um, remember that uh, I think I'm tracking this right. The last time he had one of these issues, they, you know, beat him down out of it. And then shortly after they ended up fighting Odahan Thul and the party was surprised to find out he didn't have his full toolkit to help the group. And he was like, yeah, I burned through my spell slots when I was, um, when I was, you know, crazy robot. Yeah. So I, I do think there is an interesting dynamic we're heading towards of potentially going into the Feywild, maybe even the Shadowfell, having this kind of thing happen and then having some big encounter where history kind of repeats itself. Yeah. I mean, if they don't address, I mean, and so the, the solstice is in a week, right? Which that could be, we've talked about this before. That could be three months from now in, in earthling time before that actually right. happens in the campaign. But if it happens anytime, like soon, soon, it'd be interesting if he, if FCG still had dealt with that, and we have FCG potentially going berserk, Chetney potentially going berserk during this, you know, crazy moon cycle, and Bell's Hells is down two of, you know, very integral players, two that might even be turning against them. That's uh, just a dangerous level I, of chaos to be added onto an already like crazy event. I think we should maybe start to prepare ourselves for another player death, which obviously it's not obviously it's not planned, right? But there's I didn't watch campaign one or two, so I don't, I don't know. Like this could just be, you know, the, the, it's nothing new. It's like, yeah, big, big obstacles, you know, challenging, challenging things coming up. Um, but for me, like the, the details of, um, I don't know if it was planes, Rider Ren or whoever said it, who was like, yeah, some of you are probably going to die. Um, and then kind of like the precariousness of like the timing of everything, like going to another plane, FCG, um, curious with Ashton, if you know he had to be absent for a couple of weeks, will there be a detail brought in there story-wise? Um, I don't know, man. I'm, 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 I'm very apprehensive. I think personally, we're going to see the Apogee Solstice happen in the next 10 episodes. Um, I'd agree with that. And I'm very nervous for what could happen by the end of that episode. So I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Me too. Me too, man. And this is something we've kind of touched on, but let's. T- I'd like to touch on it again really quick. Um, just talking about that event like in, in a bottle without really diving into the actual nuances of the event yet. Um, I what's going to be the aftermath because we're too early in the campaign for this to be right the end right and right. it also feels like i don't feel like matt would railroad them in the sense of it's the solstice is all like it's always going to fail or it's always going to succeed so i do think they have some agency in determining aspects of what happens here um so that being said um I'm just really curious where where we go from here. Um, like maybe they maybe they you know their their plan is to mess with one of these machines, 
and they're successful. And because of that, they don't have full capacity to break the prison and it only kind of breaks. And then the rest of the campaign is maybe them trying to make sure it doesn't fully break or repair it or whatever. Maybe it does fully break and the rest of the campaign is almost like the calamity, you know? Um, or maybe they, for now, fully prevent it. But if they do full, I don't see them fully preventing it just because if it necessitated an apogee solstice, then we're hundreds of years from getting another shot at it, right? So I don't know. I'm just, I'm just like rambling here, but I'm just, I'm curious which path it's going to take. And if, if you have a, a, what, what you would prefer or what your best guess is, if those are different. Yeah. I, I think, I think, I think knowing, having seen what I've seen from Matt, efforts are never futile, but they mm -hmm. do affect the severity of outcome in that I could see, um, you know, I could see them destroying one of the machines and it doesn't like fully break the prison in some way or just affects it. Doesn't, doesn't remove it from happening, but it does affect the severity of it. And I could see Matt being like, hey, because you did this, here's, here's now the outcome. Um, it, it's, it's a pretty weird situation because I don't know how powerful Ludinus Deleth is. I'm assuming, you know, aside from him being the obnoxious CEO of two different companies, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming incredibly powerful mage. Um, presumably, not just if we piece these things together, we have the Ruby Vanguard with a crew of zealots. We have the Cerberus Assembly, which I don't know much about, but I'm assuming is a fairly large organization. We have Paragon's Call, uh, who are the mercenaries at the whim and beck and call of um, Adahan Thule, its leader, who's also collecting presumably an army of Ruidus-touched individuals, all four of, and also the Unseelie Court. Um, which we haven't seen much of, but is seemingly also heavily involved in this huge plan. Um, that is five large entities that collectively make an incredibly powerful opponent. I, I just, the party's level seven, right? Level eight. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just kind of like, it's, it's, I call it a weird situation. Cause I'm like, where, where does this outcome go in 10 episodes? Like what? what is their part to play and it's also why i'm fairly nervous for them because i'm like if i'm any one of these five entities i'm squishing bell's hells like a bug you know i'm like right. stop messing with that get out of here you know so like i, I don't know I, I honestly don't know what happens um i do think the prison is going to get broken in some way i also think it would be interesting what we talked about last episode if they come back and it's after the event. Um, you know, if they've somehow missed it time-wise, um, I think that would be an interesting way to make it happen without them having to have the confrontation. Um, we've talked a lot about that already, but anyway. Yeah. All that to say, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, so, they, they seem too weak to, to take on any one of those five forces. Agreed. Agreed. And... Um... I do think the uh, that idea of them like time dilating in the Feywild and missing it is such like a cool concept, but I just I don't think that'll happen because I think that like Matt wouldn't want to 
all this setup and then it's like happened you know you missed it um but i'm just like imagining that happening in a movie and i'm like man that would be so cool yeah i mean unless i mean the the only detail the only way it works is if they have to go back in time to stop it that's the way it works otherwise it's it's terrible you know (laughs) um it really is i mean it's like all the build up for nothing so right um i don't want to like presume to understand like what's going to happen so um but yeah i have i have no idea how this this petty little group takes on all five of these together um and that's just the five we know of right i mean there's so many other factions probably not also probably dealing with ruidus specifically but all with their own you know things they're trying to utilize the solstice for um which you're right i mean bell's hells is nothing in the grand scheme of what's going on here uh we know keyleth has a million fires to put out and basically all the the powerful entities are either they're aware of what's happening and they're either like trying to utilize it themselves or they're trying to stop bad actors from utilizing it right so like it's so much bigger I mean, not much is bigger than releasing a God Eater, but in terms of like, it's so much bigger than what Bell's Hells are dealing with, you know? And so you're right. Like, what are they supposed to do here? Um, and I can't remember who said it, but it was like, maybe it was Plain Rider Ren. It was an episode ago or two where they were like, we're just supposed to walk into the army of these Rudisborns. Like, what are we supposed to do? And they're like, well, we're probably best like going in small like groups, mm-hmm. like trying to infiltrate and stuff. And so I'm wondering right. if, if we might get something like that for this event and here's where I'm kind of just like going out of left field. Um, we know campaign three has been a bit different in terms of they're trying new stuff. Um, you know, I, I won't get into the list of examples right now, but it's something we talked about at the beginning of the campaign, how they kind of warned us or teased us that like, you know, it's going to be some new stuff. You know, we got Robbie coming in for his like the longest guest ever. Bring um, him back. Yes. And more on that in a second, you know, Chetney coming in late, yada, yada, yada. Um, EXU Calamity, the Mighty Nine thing. I wonder if we could ever get like an EXU Apogee Solstice and we get like an episode of the Crown Keepers, Dorian and them dealing with something. We get an episode of Vox Machina, or not necessarily all of Vox Machina, but like Keyleth and whoever like dealing with something. Um, The Mighty Nine, maybe trying to do something with Service Assembly. Um, and of course, Bell's Hells, obviously. Um, so like, I have no real basis for that, but it would be cool given what you just said. Cause it's like, yeah, what are they going to do against all these entities? Um, so I don't know. I, I do. And then I'm kind of sort of shifting subjects just really quick. Cause it makes sense to say it right now. Um, speaking of the crown keepers, I do wonder if we will hear from them or at least Dorian, um, and I can't remember if you said this or if we just talked about it at some point, but the spider queen's crown, um, do we think that that was the battery or was intended to be the battery for one of these devices? Wow. You know, just uh, like the moon tide crown. Okay. Okay. This is really interesting. Did we talk about, I guess we didn't talk about this. We didn't talk about this. So we know that it was being, uh, shipped as contraband. It was on this ship. I don't remember the details of where it was coming from. Everyone was dead. Mm -hmm. Um, crown keepers steal it, um, pisses off the, um, the nameless ones, the nameless ones, not because it was, I don't think it was 
originally intended for them or was it? Because it wasn't their ship. Yeah, this is where I get, I would need to go back and watch EXU. But they said, go do some, get into some trouble to kind of like, you know, whatever. Um, And then they roused the ire of the nameless ones because they basically looted their warehouse. Right. Um, But I do think there's something to be said. We know from campaign three, there is a network of things being shipped that are all part of this master plan. We have the, um, right. the vials, whatever they're called. Um, the dunamastic liquid. Thank you. Yep. We have the broomstone still unresolved. Um, you know, there's, there's things that are happening here. I could totally see that as being something, um, important for sure it makes it make a bit more sense not that it needs to but you know in exu they just have this vestige of divergence that ultimately does kind of play a bigger role eventually uh in that story but is initially just treated as like oh you happened to find a vestige you know um which is fine like i thought it was fun and added a really cool dynamic to that whole show um but it would make a lot of sense if that was there for a reason you know that that crown was in that port for a reason beyond just for the purposes of EXU. Like it had a purpose in the the lore of the world, which I don't yeah. know if the timing makes sense here. It probably doesn't, but it might. The Moon yeah, Tide the crown only... was stolen. Did they need a replacement vestige that was being shipped on the way? The Moon Tide crown wasn't a vestige, right? It was just a legendary item, right? Uh, true. But uh, yeah, true. So I maybe I shouldn't use the word vestige, but well, just like they're both powerful artifacts, right? That could potentially right. serve and, as batteries. And, and they're both crowns. But the question would be, is it more about having an item of immense power? Or I really liked what you said in our last episode about these three planes, the Shadowfell, the Fae, and the, the material plane. Um, I wonder if it has to be items that are... Um, related Ooh. to those planes because the moontime crown came from the fey right the unseelie court badly wants it back mm-hmm. um probably because it powers that key that mount right. Malleus key that makes so sense. is there an item of the shadow fell that powers that one well the, and is there one of the, the spider plane? queen crown she's the shadow oh, is she, she, is she from so. the shadow fell i think I so <laughs> let's check real quick yeah let's do a little Let's see here. I'm pretty sure uh, she is. So then that makes a whole bunch of sense. Yeah, let's see here. Um, let's see. For many millennia, Loth ruled over the Underdark, the Fadark, and the Shadowfell. Okay. I'm all about this now. This is crazy. <laughs> so okay. interesting. Wow. I wonder if that means they have to get that crown back for the Feywild machine or if there's something else they could use the moon tide crown i mean yeah well i guess there has to be something else they could use because for our knowledge they don't have the spider queen crown either so they're they don't have either one although it would be weird if they go to the shadowfell and the crown is there Ooh, like what happened that would be what crazy happened to the crown keepers you know so <laughs> interesting okay that's a crazy detail though um I don't know if we're Pepe Sylvia ing or not. Or um I lo- I love that theory though. So um but yeah, I kind of forgot how I even got off on that exit there, but I did want to mention it. 
Um, but yeah, it would be cool if there was some hmm. EXU Apogee Solstice where we got some kind of interesting, maybe new faces seeing what they're doing during this time too. I don't expect that to happen, but it would be fun if it did. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think for me, that's those are the... I have one yeah, tiny yeah. question yeah, before we get into the meat. Um, Orem's question to Tuldus on what does this all have to do with Zephra? Oh, yeah. And he got a whisper. What's, what's your take on that? I don't know. I'm so curious because to me, I... Okay. It could be that that Taldus or Taldus, whatever his name is, um was being uh what's the word? Like shady, like deceptive, and there is something there, and then Liam did the insight check and you know found something out. Um but my gut instinct was that he really didn't know what Orem was talking about. Um which makes me which that might not be the case, but if it is the case, my take is that Odahan is maybe got her some of her own chess moves in play that maybe mm. right told us and the the ruby vanguard aren't aware of because it did seem right. like he was like wait like zephyr what do you mean so i don't know what that whisper would have been other than like maybe matt being like hey he's really confused and interested as to why you brought that up or something you know i don't know but i don't know yeah it, and then the other thing with that too is because you just, I just thought of it when you said, like, didn't know if he was being deceptive or not. We did have a great comment from Travis on just, re- it was something to the effect of just remember that sometimes there are unreliable narrators yeah. um, or unreliable information. And he, I didn't know what he was referencing, but I got the gist of it though of like, we've, we've, um, and there was even like maybe a detail, which I don't know if I misheard it because even Ashley Johnson was like, wait, what? Um, where it was something about like releasing the gods or something like that. And they're like, wait, what? Plural? Like, wait, more than one? Like, I thought there's just Pradathos. Like, what do you mean? Um, so it would be interesting how much this information is accurate and how much it is not. And it seemingly is for the most part coming from primar- primarily Ludinus, who I think the the phrasing was that. Pradathos speaks to Ludinus. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm very curious to see how true any of this is. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Because what Ludinus, what if he's just using the Ruby Vanguard and he doesn't really believe what he's preaching to them? You know, like what if they're a means to an end? Um, so I, and, I why, be... and why rebrand? Why not just keep it? You know, this is a. Where the you know Cerberus Assembly, this is our like you know franchise over here. It's interesting that he calls it something totally different. Yeah. So the the Cerberus Assembly is like I'm not looking at it right now, but I think it's only like five or six people. Like they are called the Cerberus Assembly, and it's because they're all like powerful archmages in okay the 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 uh, the Dwindalian Empire. I think unless I'm getting my wires crossed. So they're not like they like meet. I think that you it'd be better to think of them as like a little Congress kind of like, they're not necessarily all like working together every day. They all just like, you're a member, you're a member. Like it's, you know what I mean? Um, So I could see him creating the Ruby Vanguard just as one of his own things he's doing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I thought the service assembly was like this massive organization of like minions. So 
I mean, they definitely have like, you know, they're they're all very powerful and I'm sure have minions in one way or another. But yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, let's get to what's on your mind. Yeah. um, Okay, I don't I don't I don't know how I'm just going to kind of go through stuff here. So you just mentioned it. Ludinus claims he talks with Pradathos, which I think is very strange. Um, and that's one of the things that makes me wonder if he's lying. Um, but if he is, then that would mean he's probably Ruidus born almost has to be if he has mm. that type of connection. Um, yeah. and it like, I mean, maybe that's just an eventual ascension you get to like, could Imogen speak with Pradathos in the future? Um, I don't really know what to make of that, but it does. It's, it screams like kind of like cult to me like oh i can speak to pradathos like none of you can but this is what we're doing and like mm-hmm. you know you should all follow what i'm saying um so i definitely get the vibes that he could just be utilizing the ruby vanguard for his own ends and not necessarily that he believes everything he's saying or yeah. not that he like doesn't think pradathos is real or anything but you know what i mean um yeah totally and so we know he wants to free him and they just think that that Pradathos is going to just go mess with the gods and leave them alone. I think that's a wild assumption, which, you know, half the cast brought up. Um, it's a lot to bank on. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot For to sure. bank on, which is another thing that makes yeah. me think there's ulterior things here that we aren't aware of. Um, I, I would assume also, though, that Ludinus would be comfortable with that not being fully true in the sense of surely I would be, yeah. you know. Like he's okay very, with the collateral damage. Yeah, like, it's almost somewhat Vespin Chloris-y of like, you know, I'll be taken care of. Um, rest of you guys, you're probably screwed. So Right. So I'm wondering that. And there's like a, a several different avenues I want to explore here. So I'm just – stop me if ever you're wanting to go deeper on something. Um, but even if they do release him, I think, I think they brought this up during the episode too. Like we have the whole Divine Gate. One is Pradathos a god in the same way the other deities are classified as gods because gods are trapped behind the divine gate, but mortals can pass through it. Like it's, you know, because like in campaign one, Vox Machina went through the divine gate at certain points to go see the gods. So people can get through, gods can't. If Pradathos is a god, then he can't even get to the gods because the divine gate's there. Um, right. So then what is he's just trapped in the cage with all of Exandria. What else is he going to do but destroy them? But if he's not well, a god, then maybe he can just go through it and still get to them. Well, and it could be if it's if the, the same energy around Ruidus, and they've described it described it as the same divine lattice, that same divine gate-esque right. energy. Um, you know, maybe they're going to blow up that gate and then turn to the, you know, Exandria one and blow that one up too, which would even beyond Pradathos would have pretty scary implications for the world of Exandria. Yeah, because then you're releasing all the betrayer gods too, you know. You know? Um, so I have that. I'm I'm wondering that, like, even if he's free, can he even get to the gods? Um, excuse me. Um, and then you just brought up Vespin Chloris, and we've been. I've been wondering if we know Ludinus is really telling the truth is his attentions. Part, and I don't like ship this, but part of me is wondering 
could could his goal be to ascend and like take the place of Pradathos the same way the Raven Queen, mm. the matron of ravens ascended and took the place of the god of of death? Like, could that be his plan? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be fine. We're going to release him. He's going to deal with the gods. Everyone will be better. But like his real intention is like, we got to release him so that I can ascend and take his place. I think that's an interesting theory and something that I think checks out in terms of like the running theme of what we've found across D&D critical role content mm -hmm. of the ego of, of people and you know, we saw it with Age of Arcanum in the Calamity series. We're seeing it again with the Ruby Vanguard. Like, you know, we don't need them. We're better than them. Like, life would be better without them. Um, it would be really interesting if that was the case. And it wasn't just to, let's free us from the gods. You know, I'm doing something very benevolent. But um, absolutely, I love that theory, um, which would have very scary implications again because <clears throat> i mean how do you take on someone like that <laughs> yeah right so. okay so oh and by the way i was going to ask you uh not to get off base i want to put a pin in this for a second w what's the beacon that he has because the party talked about like oh right he, he got the beacon um okay remind me of what that was uh, lewdness you mean yeah right so um, the beacons are from campaign two, um, the Luxon beacons. There are these. Are they consecution thing? Mm -hmm. They're these like really powerful artifacts that the Kryn dynasty holds as like the most revered. And this is all campaign two stuff, but Ludinus has been interested in all these God stuff for a long time. Like he was studying the beacons and he was excavating ancient calamity sites looking for stuff and i think this is all kind of piecing together now which is interesting how the luxon fits into this i'm still not sure um i know some people think pradathos is the luxon like they're one and the same entity i'm not on that page yet for my money i still feel like they're and wasn't there a detail from matt that the beacons are pre pre-founding they're like the earliest thing at least that's what oh, okay. is is believed about them i mean obviously we don't know but that is like they're believed to be like pre-founding, like you said. So, okay. Uh, where to even start here? Okay. Lewdness, right? We know he's the one at, at the top of this, at least at the top so far that we've seen. Um, leader of the Cerberus Assembly, old elf, has been studying these beacons, has been studying this stuff for a long time. We know that he is from, um, and forgive me on the pronunciation here, Molesimir. Um, that's where he was originally from, which is this city, this old elven city that fell to ruin um, a long time ago, not like Calamity, but like a while back. Um, and it's actually in the middle of the Savalier Wood, which is like this corrupted um, wood that ruined the city. Now it ruins the wood. Oh, sorry. Keep coughing. Um, and for campaign two people, you know, this um, Caduceus Clay's family and their graveyard is like one of the things they are battling is the corruption of the Savalier Wood. Um, okay. So we know Ludinus is from that city, which again was destroyed. We don't know exactly how, but the corruption there mirrors the corruption that they saw 
in Aeor, which is a calamity era city that was destroyed by the gods. Um, when they were exploring the ruins of Aeor, they found like this corrupt forest in there, like in one of the like research wards. And it's the same corruption in the Savalier Wood. So either hmm. confirmed or pretty confirmed. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Interesting. I'm kind of jumping all over here. So you, you raid me in if you need to, but, um, Aeor. Okay. <laughs> One of the calamity era cities that was destroyed by the gods during the calamity, they made yeah, a they, truce long enough right. to destroy to just, Aeor during their big war. Why? Cause they, they had a, they had developed a God killing weapon of some kind. Right? Yes. And in campaign two, when they were exploring the ruins, they find out a little bit about this and it's called the factorum malleus. And now we have the malleus keys. Um, so I think in, I think the people of Aeor found out about Perdathos and were going to free him to kill all the gods and in the calamity, the gods figured out what they're messing with and were like, truce real quick. We got to deal with them. <laughs> so they destroy Aeor, destroy this. Ludinus has been studying all of this. This is probably why like, he studies Aeor and studying all the beacons and stuff. I'm sure he, this is how he learned of it originally. It'd be my best guess. And now why he's using the, the term malleus keys for these devices that are going to ultimately free him. So I think Aeor came up with this originally. Ludinus has been studying it. Um, and like I said, he's from Molesmir. That's just the city that was like destroyed by this corruption. Um, the corruption that originated in Aeor. Maybe at one point they were studying long ago, before Molesmir fell. They were studying Aeor stuff, and maybe they got too close to finding that answer as well. And yeah. so maybe the gods destroyed that too. Doesn't have to be that though. Maybe they just were. It was hubris, and they were trying to study yeah. things that were over their head, and it just got out of control. Either the way, it's not really important. But yeah. it just it it drives a direct line from like Aeor research destroying that city and lewdness being from there. Um, so I think that. I think that's how he found out about it. I think that's absolutely the same. The the factorum malleus from Aeor was Prodathos. And so you're saying the calamity is happening. Aeor discovers the truth about Ruidus, hatches a plan to free Prodathos. The gods form a truce because they are, as we know, fearful of Prodathos, who's already eaten two of them. Mm -hmm. And they band together to destroy Aeor. Somehow, the connection's a little wibbly-wobbly, but Ludinus's hometown somewhat find out about these details, or at least, you know, the background kind of pushes them in the right direction, and now he's sort of finishing what Aeor started. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> in a good way. It's in a good way. I'm like, especially the, the phrasing, the malleus being used in both, mm -hmm. in both settings, to me, is too clear a connection for it to not be because we know Aeor was destroyed because of the of the god killing weapon whatever that was and it was like what the heck could that have been i think that's very interesting yeah and this is where i'm getting like uh, this has no real grounding in reality but part of me wonders like how old is ludinus like is there any chance he was alive during Aeor times 
Hmm. I don't know if like that might be the most ridiculous statement ever. Like I'm not really sure with lifespans or anything. Right. And I don't think it necess I don't think he needs to be for this to make sense, but it would just be interesting if he was. And well, that's you, why the line was directly drawn yeah. to Molosmir, which was then sure. Shown. And totally that's why random. he has such this grudge, you know, like Yeah. Random, probably stupid theory, because I don't know a lot about it. The Luxon Beacons. Could you consecute yourself into a beacon and be reborn with the the knowledge you have from your previous life, essentially cheating death and being basically immortal mm -hmm. like ludinus in terms of his age could he be manipulating these beacons to essentially continue to re be reborn and continue to build on his knowledge and power i mean i don't know yeah i mean that's exactly what they do you do if you're consecuted you it's essentially reincarnation you know you get a new body and you're not born with all your memories but you get them back like you, they do all come back so you are like functionally immortal in a way which that's a great point. Like what if lewdness is ancient and was from back then? Again, I don't think he needs to be for everything else I'm saying to still line up. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, y'all don't get crazy with me and disregard the whole everything on this part of it. But it would just be interesting and explain like why. And he's cultivated all these these means. He's the head of the service assembly. You know, he's doing all this stuff ultimately to like finish what he started or at least finish what aor started um and it could explain his <laughs> hatred of the gods you know if if yeah they've destroyed now two of his cities or even if it's just one um yeah but i think all that checks out like i'll ship aside the part of him necessarily being like you know ancient ancient i'll ship all no. the rest of it almost we gotta certainly. go all in we gotta <laughs> go all in on it <laughs> um but what's could... also go ahead oh, go ahead no oh, you got it i was just what's also interesting is during that same part of campaign two where they were like re i think it was caleb found some like documents and stuff and that's where we learned about the factor malleus the creator hammer i think as it was also called um they also there was some research about like the people in aor having found out that like the gods didn't create us we created the gods like our beliefs and our desires like that's what formed into the gods like mortals were responsible for them mm. and not the other way around which is interesting you know okay. the gods came and created life or whatever yeah. um it's just interesting that like since this since this other stuff is turning out to be legit is that legit too and that doesn't really play into necessarily what is currently happening but it's just really interesting food for thought mm. because that changes like the entire lore of the world as we know it um, right. which could, would Does, also just be another interesting facet of like the gods wanting to control things because they can't let you know yeah. us figure out too much why do the if if the gods knew what aor was doing and they destroyed aor why would they not destroy the ruby vanguard is it because of the divine gate because like, i'm still a little bit unclear of how much influence the gods have on exandria um and i'm surprised there's not like whenever these big events happen like um you know vespin chloris freeing the betrayer gods i'm kind of like hey gods like do you guys think you could have done something before <laughs> and i think it's important to kind of think of them as like the way what the way i kind of parse it out is kind of like a more like olympian type god of mm -hmm. 
they're they are gods in authority and power but they're not like the christian god of like knowing everything right. being everywhere what have you right. um so, so the vespin chloris thing i can understand like them being in the dark um but also part of me is like if if there is something happening here that is very a or e I'm surprised that the gods aren't like banding together, like, okay, we got to do something about this. And, and maybe they are. Like, we've, you've mentioned it yourself, like, we don't know all the entities that are involved right now um, as we head to these, this apogee solstice. Um, and, and maybe bringing it all the way back to my original point of like, how do Bell's Hells take on all these groups? Maybe there will be some other organizations a bit more resourceful and powerful than like the grim verity who have the resources to actually um though i forgot a sixth group uh vasselheim presumably who's not aligned with these five but seemingly um don't don't want in this information getting out so yeah yeah i mean i i would say for for this time around like with what's going on now the divine gate is preventing a lot of like what they could do about it I mean, at some point, you got to just kind of like draw a line with like, it's D&D and gods give people power. But, you know, like how much like could they just inspire all their followers to, to you know, rise <laughs> up and end this? I mean, I guess maybe. But, you know, I don't know. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I it's so interesting. And the Vasselheim is a good point because they're I don't know. It's just hard to say who knows what, I guess. But back to the gods, you know, being so concerned with this knowledge getting out, if they're like using puppeting Vasselheim as their kind of arm of the law, it would make sense that they would even go to any links to, to not let that get out. You know, like we were talking about, like, are they the good guys or not? Um, I think it's pretty clear after this episode in my mind that they are ends justify the means, but high are we the baddies energy. Because <laughs> um, they told us in in describing the Ruby Vanguard's mission, there was like a phrasing that was like, you know, if you know too much or say too much, you get disappeared. Right. Um, which isn't just like, hey, don't talk about that anymore. It's like presumably yeah, I mean, some pretty, yeah. Uh, they destroyed Aor, you know, just for slightly yeah, different, I mean, slightly different. But like when you go against their wishes, they'll take you out. Yeah, I mean, you have. Um, uh, I can't think of his name, Professor, uh, not Enoch, uh, Ebenold, Ebenold. Yeah. Who's like hiding out in a basement for weeks on end. Um, because he knows his fate if he's found. I mean, um, yeah, there's, there's some interesting moral implications about Vasselheim, not quite the, 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 you know, bright light that maybe they're presented as so yeah and it's just it's who knows like where the orders are coming from and you know like it's, i feel like it's it's too convoluted to really like parse them one way or the not one way or the other but yeah they're definitely ends justifying the means in terms of this um and real quick i think i'm more leaning towards the gods didn't like smite molesmere i think more likely it was like hubris like they were trying to study these things and they just it got out of control yeah um, that's kind of where i was thinking too yeah um which just to to i bring that up in light of like well, why don't the gods just like if they smited aor and they smited molesmere why don't they just like smite lewdness i think it 
you know, the divine gate probably prevents that. And that really isn't what they did with Molesmir. It's probably just, you know, their own, their own hubris getting in the way. But okay. I got another little piece to tack on here. That's, that's completely of my own creation. That probably doesn't make any sense. Okay. All right. And then I have a question for you. From you what go we ahead just and, talked about. Yeah. Go ahead and ask me. Well, then. is it, is it related to lewdness? What you're going to say? Not really. Okay. So pause for a second. Of everything that you're talking about with lewdness, like if a fraction of this is true, if most of it is true, which I really like this theory, by the way, um, across the scope of the campaigns, would lewdness, I was going to ask, would lewdness, do you think he would be the big bad of this campaign? But my added question to that would be, could this be, presuming he'd want to ascend to God-eaterhood, could and also the fact that could he be immortal effectively? Could Ludinus be the most formidable big bad that we've seen across the campaigns? I mean, it could be absolutely, especially if the ascension thing is true, then definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, he definitely is already even up there just with you know these machinations that have dated back to campaign two, like in in stream and dated back who knows how long like in universe um so yeah could be for sure i mean he's definitely really powerful and has been getting his ducks in a row for a long time so really interested to see what happens when this solstice goes off um and what his true intentions are right um okay it's Tell almost me. there's almost a hint of no not nobility is maybe not the right word, but he's almost justified in a way if if it is because the gods one way or another were responsible for so much of so much death. You know, like I don't know. I, I'm not trying to take a stance on it either way, but there is like a in a certain light, <laughs> the Jedi are bad. You know what I'm saying? Like I could see him having some justification for wanting to rid the world of the gods. Yeah, if like the gods war, you know, killed two thirds of the world's population, and then they specifically destroyed your city, right? And everyone you knew and loved. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I can sur- see that. I sur- I am still stuck on your your great point about the beacons because I just I never thought about it that way. Like I knew he was studying the beacons, but how much sense would it make if he was just making sure? Like he always had to make sure he had one nearby so that he was consecuted. That'd be really interesting. It's kind of like a phylac- like the phylactery thing in D and D or just WoW or whatever. Yeah. Like you know, retreating to your phylactery and being reborn. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, it's I, I don't know a lot about the beacons. I just to me, I'm kind of like that's interesting. So all right, so hit me with your okay your other thought. So there's another entity on this chessboard we haven't really been talking about. That, Ashton. Uh, that I got. <laughs> well, I wonder. I want really quick. I wonder if if Talison slash Ashton will have any like. Here's what I was doing, and it like actually yeah. is something. I'm interested if that's it or if it's just like Hans, a joke. You know, like Hans head. <laughs> yeah, I took care of it. <laughs> Campaign's over. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah. So I am curious about that. But no. Um. One piece on the chessboard we haven't really talked about in this thing ira windegoth the nightmare king 
What role does he play? He's very heavily involved. It was his design that created the Malleus key, you know, pre- That's right. presumably that all of them were then copied off of was, was right. him. Now that, that makes me feel like he knows a lot more than he he's even letting on because he's making it seem like, oh, you know, I don't know what they're doing with it. Like, here's what I'm doing with it. And he's elvish, but not like he's transformed. He's real, like, you know, fey manipulated, let's say. Um, he knows way, he knows a lot. He knows too much even, and he's very heavily ingrained in this. I'm wondering if he too is from Molesmere and maybe he Mm -hmm. was one of like the dudes doing the experiments back then that got out of control and destroyed the city because now that this like corrupting mist transforms some of the elves that live there into like these hulking abominations and there's like weird fey creatures all around that kind of slots in nicely for how he himself is kind of transformed from an elf. Um, so not that like he and Ludinus are working together or anything, but it would just be interesting if they were kind of two sides of a, of the same coin, both elves from that city that were studying this thing. And one went this way with it. And one went this way with mm. it. Well, presumably they were working together at one point, like you said, I mean, he was hired to design the first Malleus key it it's a bit fuzzy and odd in terms of like what he was paid in, I guess. Um, but people seem to be consistently surprised that he is still involved. Um, like even with Tuldis, them asking like, who's he? Is it Ira Windigoth? Um, and the detect, the, the detect thoughts revealing like, Oh, I need to tell Ludinus that he's still out and about. Like he's, it's a loose thread. Um, but I, I like your comment, though, that if he built this machine, surely he would know what it's being used for, right? I don't know. Maybe not. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I just think he knows more than he's letting on. And I feel like it would make a lot of sense if he was from Molesmere and maybe even the one at the heart of it. Because like the corruption, according to like the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, seemingly springs from like a basement underneath one of the main towers in the city, which mm, this is a okay. very weak connection, but you know, who else do we know to be in basements of towers experimenting, but the nightmare King. Um, True. And he, he twists things and changes their nature just in the same way we're told in the wake of Pradathos. So I feel like there's so many like right. potential connections that make sense to draw him to this. Um, you're saying Ira is Pradathos. That's a hundred ship it. That's a hundred percent what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just I mean clearly he's more integrated to to this than we know. Uh, I don't. That's obviously not even a bold statement. Um, that's just my best guess currently for one way he's tied into this deeper than we've realized yet. And uh, yeah, him and Ludinus obviously worked together at some point, at the very least, in the construction of that Feywild machine. But I don't think they're like working hand in hand constantly right. behind the scenes. Um, he was hired for something and then it was like, hey, thanks, man. You're being mm-hmm. replaced. This is my impression of it. And so my my ultimate question at the end of this is what does he want out of it? Because I do think he knows what's going on here, even though he claims he doesn't. 
And so we, we can guess what Ludinus wants out of it. You know, he wants to free Pradathos for blah, blah, blah. The heck does the Nightmare King want out of it? I don't, does he want the same ends? Does he just want chaos? I don't know. I'm and he's and he's presumably aware of the third key site on the prime material plane. Like, are we in agreement that when he looked at Rudus, he then looked at yeah, yeah, that spot? Um, so maybe when it comes to like, hey, you're gonna need some extra help, maybe he maybe he pops up. You know, maybe he's the help. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think he's definitely got his own agenda. So if he doesn't show up to like help them, I think he's going to show up somewhere mm-hmm. doing something. Um, but yeah, um, he's my big question mark. Man, that was a lot. I was thinking there wasn't going to be a lot to talk about this episode, but we definitely <laughs> there was a lot of details. Um, presumably, next episode. We may see the party heading to the Fey or even the Shadowfell. Yeah. It seemed like it seems like they have Matt's given them a couple of options. They could go more Mori, Morrigan, or Plains Rider Ren would also have a means to get them where they need to go. So which they're coming back in half an hour. Maybe they'll use Plains Rider Ren to go to the Fey Wild. That's my best guess. And I hope that's what they do because I really want to meet Morgan and get her yeah. take on all this because she knows the Nightmare King too. So there might be right. maybe something lent toward that. Um, but yeah, that, that's my best guess. Headed to the Fey and okay, I guess maybe headed to the machine in the Fey after speaking with her. There's yeah. not much time left. Yeah. All right. Uh, let us know in the comments what you thought about this episode and what you think about some of our crackpot theories and maybe what some of your crackpot theories are. Yeah. Uh, uh, anything else to talk about, Will? No, I don't think so. Uh, if you made it this far, thanks for listening. Uh, you know, we're on all the socials. Uh, oh, if you use TikTok, do me a favor, go follow us over there because I think once you get to a thousand followers, you can go live. And I think it'd be, it'd be I kind of got some fun ideas for like maybe going live after episodes or just some some stuff. So anyway, if you're a TikToker, do us a favor. But yeah, find us there. Find us on Twitter at the Pixelists. Um, all that jazz. I'm probably forgetting one, but mm-hmm. uh, Last of Us coming soon. Season two, Vox Machina coming soon. And uh, Games on Quick on right now. Check it out yeah. if you haven't. Yeah. All right. Uh, thumbnail. Maybe you do like a little bit of like an explaining and I'll do kind of like a wait, what <laughs> okay. kind of thing. Um, I'm trying to decide. Oh. Get my explorer's guide to Wildman out. Yeah, should I be like, like pointing to a page being like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we appreciate you guys listening. Thanks so much. And we'll catch you later. Bye, y'all.